want to do. Um, I started a brand new community group this week um, on Thursday. We have a couples group that's going on. I was one of those people that got connected because it was my turn too. And um, we have four couples in our group and it was amazing and fun and the people were just really cool. But we need one or two more couples as I roll up my sleeves. It's like Heather's watching me roll up my sleeves, not listening to what I'm saying. Um, so we need one or two more couples to join our group. We have, a good, we have a good solid base, but we need one or two more people. If that's you and you would like to get involved in our group, um, you can sign up online. If you just do the Renewal Church Boston app, you can touch groups and sign up today. And so I'm going to keep asking until we get one or two more couples. It's going to be a lot of fun. It was at Andy and Meg's house. There were cats. There were guinea pigs. They came out. The pigs came out. Um, so we're looking for a couple more people to join us with that. If that's not your deal, you know, we do have the other open groups that just started. We have a men's group, we have a women's group, and we have these couples groups. And so there's going to be something that fits for you. And since they just started, now's kind of the time to do that. All right, so on to the message. Today, we're continuing our teaching series called Demystify, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit, kind of the, he's been called the forgotten God, the, the part of the Trinity that people don't talk about as much. And I... I, I shared this last week. Now, if you need to go catch up on our t- teaching series from last week, you can download the Renewal Church Boston app and find the older teachings on there. But last week I shared, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church, and so I didn't hear a lot about God. Um, I didn't get taught much about Christianity or anything like that. So when I finally showed up in church when I was about 17 years old, and people started talking about the Holy Spirit, that was the part that sounded the strangest to me. I just never heard anything about that before. And so it was like, what does that mean? Who's the Holy Spirit? How does this work? I I don't, I don't think I get it. And I just know that this is a common thing in the American church. And so I wanted to go straight at it, talk together about who is the Holy Spirit, but just as importantly, how does the Holy Spirit work in your life in a way that makes a difference in your life? And today, what we're talking about is feeling close to God. And I wonder if you've ever felt distant from God. I know that I have. Have you? Have you ever felt distant from God? You know, this experience of, of distance or of coldness or, you know, sometimes you come to church and you see the people, we talk about this all the time, you see the people in the front, this is the hand-raising section over here, this, it's just those people, right? And you come and pe- some people seem really into it and they seem close to God and you're like, you know, I don't have that experience, I kind of do this, this is what my dad did, this is the worship position I was taught, you know, like this, hanging back. But some people seem to have a really close relationship with God, but I'm missing out on that. How do I get there? How do I get to that place? This feeling of distance from God is, is faced in the Bible because the Bible is the most realistic book that's ever been written. It, it, it covers every human topic. It is not a G-rated book. It is not a fairy tale kind of book. It is an R-rated, real life, deal with things as they happen kind of book. And in the Bible, it deals with this, this sense of feeling distant from God. And it was uh, one, of the, one of the places we see that is in the Psalms. Now, There was a Jewish king in the Bible named King David, and he wrote poems or songs that that represent the entire range of human emotions. And one of them that he he wrote was Psalm 22, and he started this poem with this cry from somewhere deep in his gut, maybe you know this feeling, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from my cries of anguish. Just an acknowledgement that sometimes God feels distant, and when God feels distant, it's distressing. That when you long for that, when you want that in your life, and you want to feel close to God, but it's not there, it is absolutely like inner turmoil. And I wonder what makes you feel distant from God. For me, it's often a symptom of busyness in my life. 
I get so busy and so distracted that I stop paying attention to what God is doing. And then all of a sudden, kind of one day, it feels like I wake up and I think, man, why do I feel so far away from God? And it's that I've been so busy, I'm not paying attention to God in my life. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that. Or maybe for you, you feel distant from God because, um, because you have doubts in your life. Doubts are a normal part of life, and doubts are a normal part of a, a spiritual walk and a relationship with God. But sometimes when you're not sure if God is there, and you're not sure if God hears, and you have some serious questions, then God feels far away. Or maybe it's not doubts. Maybe for you, you believe there's a God, so you've been praying to God, but you have some unanswered prayers, some big prayers, not the God, would you, would you please help my cat feel better kind of prayers. But my, my wife uh, used to do a small group of girls. We, I was a youth minister for, for several years, and she had one girl that would every, every week would just pray that God would heal her geckos. And then the, the girl right next to her in this small group, her mom had serious cancer and was battling for her life. And so it was like, God, I pray that you'll heal my mom. And then the next girl was like, God, would you heal my geckos? And it's like, I don't know what to do with that. But maybe you've prayed not the gecko prayers, but the big prayers. And God hasn't answered your prayers. And so that starts to create a sense of distance of like, you know, does, does he listen? Does he care? Where is he? Why isn't he coming through in this situation for me? Or for someone that I, I love, that's a cause of distance. It could be because of the difficulties in your life that God is letting you go through right now. And you think, you know, if, if there was a God, surely he wouldn't have me do this. If God cared about me and he was with me and he was, he was in me, surely God wouldn't let me go through this right now. Or sometimes, sometimes you feel distant from God in your relationship with God because your relationship with God becomes transactional. You start checking the boxes. You start doing the things. You're like, you know, I did the, you know, uh, this is a very Christ Christianese way to speak, but it's like I did my quiet time. I had my devotions. I checked the box. I gave the money, I showed up at the event, and now, but I still feel distant from God. And when your relationship is transactional, it feels like distance. And sometimes there doesn't seem to be any reason at all. You just feel distant from God, and you're not entirely sure why. We desire to feel close with God, I think most people most of the time, and if you manage to show up here today, or maybe you got drug here today, it would be better to be close to God than distant from God, and yet... It's difficult. This feeling of closeness to God could be described as intimacy. Now, I'm, I'm 36, right? Heather says, yes, I'm 36. And as a young man, this is a word that made me very uncomfortable. There's like, you know, there's some words out there that I just don't like and don't do. But as I've gotten older, I've come to see like this really kind of nails what we're looking for. It, intimacy is about um, closeness, Right? It's about trust, it's about openness, it's about honesty about where I'm at, what I hope for, and what I'm afraid of. And when I have intimacy with another person, um, I can talk with them about things that I can't talk with other people about. That's a good sign that there's intimacy there. I, I, if, if I can talk with my wife about things I'm not going to talk about in public, things I'm not going to talk about in a social setting. Things I'm not even going to talk about in a setting of three or four close friends. There are things that just me and my wife, that's the only, we're the only people who talk about it. That's a sign that intimacy is there. It's a sign of closeness. Now, I want you to think about how intimacy works with people because if you're going to have a close or intimate relationship with God, you're going to have to understand how intimacy works between people. With people, you can be sitting right next to them. So physically, you're very, very close, but you can still feel distant from them. 
Some of you are here today and you had a big fight on the way to church and now you're sitting right next to them, you're sitting right next to your significant other, but you feel distant from them. You can also be a thousand miles away from somebody and feel very close to them. It's the same way with God. Our experience of God's nearness or distance is not a description of his actual proximity to us, but of our experience of intimacy with him. Now that's in the teaching notes today. If you're taking notes as you go along, you can fill that in. But our experience of God's nearness or distance is not a description of his actual proximity to us. See, we make this mistake. We think he feels distant, therefore he is distant. He feels near, therefore he is near. But it, it doesn't even work this way with people. According to the Bible, God draws near to people, and our experience of him might be that he feels distant or he feels close. God does not change according to the Bible, but our experience of him certainly does. And if you want to draw close to God, that's going to have to start with some things that you believe about God. You're going to have to believe that he wants you to draw close to him, that he's safe, right? Isn't that a huge component of a very close relationship? I mean, we all have some nice friendships. We have some closer friendships. But there are things that you don't tell most of your friends because you're still not sure how safe it is to trust them with that soul-level information about you. You have to believe that God is safe. You have to believe that he's welcoming and that he cares about you. So before we talk about what we do to draw close to God, I want to show you from the Bible that God is completely committed to having a close relationship with you no matter what you're going through. Even when your prayer's unanswered, when you're full of doubts, when you are being ground down by the routine of everyday life and sometimes everyday religion, God wants to have a close relationship with you. So let's look together at the letter called Romans in the Bible. And if you're following along, that's inside the handout. Romans was written by a man named Paul. Saul was his Jewish name. He was actually an expert at code switching between Jewish and Roman audiences. He would, he would go by Saul when he was with Jewish people and Paul when he was with Roman people. And early on in his life, Paul thought he was close to God when really his life was a mess. You see, there was this new group that had sprung up in Judaism and they had claimed that the Messiah had come. Then they claimed that that Messiah had come and then been crucified and then he had risen from the dead and appeared to some of the women and then appeared to about 500 other people. And people were calling them Christians. And it was originally a derogatory term, meaning little Christs. And this claim that they were making drove Paul crazy. It was because in his mind, it was an affront to God to claim that God would show up in human form. That was the essence of blasphemy for him. Right? Think about the big 10 commandments, the big 10, right? Uh, one God, no idols. That's the second one. There's no images of God. You can't, you can't see God. You can't touch God. And here's a whole group of Jewish people claiming, no, God came as a person. You could see him, touch him, talk to him. And so for Paul, this is blasphemy. And so he wanted to kill the people who were blaspheming. Now, that sounds kind of extreme because for us, blasphemy is like, I mean, that's just like every awards show. It's like, oh, it's the VMAs. It's more blasphemy today. But, you know, there are cultures in the world that we still know of where they have blasphemy laws on the books legally in that country. And if you blasphemy, you can be killed, right? So that's more, that's closer to the cultural context that Paul lived in. So for him, blasphemy was like, this is a capital offense. And then on top of the blasphemy of God coming in human form, you know, there was also this claim from these early Christians that God's Messiah, his rescuer, the one he was supposed to send to rescue Israel, was um, stripped naked and nailed to a cross, which was a huge insult to God's honor. 
that you would say, no, this is God, and this is what God looks like. So between the blasphemy and the insults, Paul thought, okay, if I'm going to follow God and I'm going to be a good God follower, what I need to do is I need to eliminate these Christians. And so he dedicates his life going house to house, arresting people. He has letters from the chief priests um, from the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council, and he arrests people and he throws them in jail. And he's looking for followers of the way. That's what they called themselves. The outsiders called them Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. And he said, I'm going to stamp this out. He felt like he was close to God. He felt like he was serving God, but he was actually full of self-righteousness, anger, anger, bitterness, and hate. And he was distant from God, and he didn't even know it. And one of the things that's so instructive about this is that there's actually more than one way to be distant from God. You can actually be distant from God by being very, very bad and just kind of like running off and doing your own thing and saying like, I'm going to live life for me. I'm not going to care about you. I'm not going to think about you. I'm going to do me which is what most of us usually think of in, ter- as in terms of distant from God, distance from God. But you can also be distant from God when you think you're serving him, but you're so full of self-righteousness, anger, bitterness, rage, envy, greed, that you think you're serving him when really you're distant from him. But for Paul, his life changed dramatically. When God showed up and instead, just right in the middle of Paul's mess, in the middle of him going from town to town to arrest Christians. And instead of striking him dead with a lightning bolt, which I don't think is actually a thing that even happens in the Bible, but for some reason that's what we've come up with when God's angry. Instead of striking him dead, he shows him grace. He gives Paul a new heart, new humility. He gives him forgiveness for what he'd done. He gives him the promise of eternal life. And very importantly to our message today, God gives Paul his own spirit. He gives him God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's kind of all different names for the same person, the Holy Spirit. Now, we dug into this last week, and I'm not going to recap the whole message. You can download the Renewal Church Boston app and look it up. But the big idea from last week's message, kind of who is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is God's personal presence. And so God gives his personal presence to Paul. And just like how when I go home, there are signs of my wife everywhere. And so I walk in the door and the laundry's done. And I, and I go upstairs and there's a note saying how much I love you. And there's another note saying, do the dishes. I just got my nails done. Or, you know, there's signs of my wife everywhere in the house. I, did, I ignored that one. And now her, she had to remove her nail polishes. Like just terrible husband. That's why we're going to the couples group. Um, but there's signs of my wife everywhere. But the signs of my wife are not the same as the personal presence of my wife. When she's there and I can see into her blue eyes and I can see the freckles on her face and I can see her displeasure with me not doing the dishes, like her personal presence is different than the signs of her presence, so it is with God. You see see signs of God's existence and presence everywhere from the vastness of our universe down to the unconditional love that, you know, parents have for their newborn babies. You see the signs of God's presence everywhere, but it's not the same as having the personal presence of God in your midst, And God gives Paul his personal presence, his Holy Spirit, the same thing according to the Bible that he gives to all believers, all people who turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus, they receive God's presence. And when Paul receives the presence of God, he's he's a man who thought he was serving God. He thought God must be pleased with him and he came to realize suddenly and dramatically that he had actually been fighting against God and had therefore been distant from God for most of his life, and he didn't even know it. 
So after Paul puts his faith in Jesus, and he didn't have a lot of choice in it because Jesus showed up and said, Paul, it's me, Jesus, which would be nice, you know, if you're struggling for faith. He becomes a Christian, and he receives the Spirit, and then he writes the letter of Romans. And when he writes the letter of Romans, he writes to a group of Christians in Rome about what it really means to be close to God. And he should know because he took the long way to get there through life. And when he describes what it means to be close to God for him, it is all about the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is about God's personal presence with you. And so we're going to read this. I'll read this passage to you. And what you'll see is that the closeness to God is is totally built on the personal presence of God with you. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 14 and work our way through. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? You you can't see the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is invisible, powerful, and life-giving. That's what the Spirit is. And just like wind is invisible, powerful, and life-giving, the Spirit is. Just like breath, when you breathe is invisible, powerful, and life-giving, that same word for wind or breath is the word that in, in, in Hebrew, is the word they use for the Spirit of God. So what does it mean to be led by someone who is invisible, powerful, and life-giving? Well, the question is sort of this. It's, it's are you paying attention to what the Spirit of God in you wants for you? Are you being led by him? There's a, a follow the leader with God's presence in your midst. And according to Romans 8.14 here, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you have the Spirit, you've received the Spirit, you're following Him, you're paying attention to Him and what He wants for you, then you are a child of God. There's an identity change that happens in your life. You know, I thought I was the child of Woodrow and Kathy. Woodrow Wilson Kirk Jr. What a name. I was almost Woodrow Wilson Kirk III, but my mom vetoed it. Thank the Lord. <laughs> but it turns out that when you place your faith in Jesus, for me, I, you know, I'm the son of Woody and Kathy. That never changes. But it turns out there's actually a more fundamental identity to who I am even than that that determines who I am. I am a child of God. And when you have the Spirit, you have access to God. God might be a king because he's a king. He might be a ruler because he's a ruler. He could be the creator because he's the creator But when you have his spirit, you can relate to him like you would to a perfect father. Because if we're children of God, that makes God father. Paul continues. He says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. So the spirit is someone that you receive. It's not a spirit you can demand or cajole or trick God or say, like, if I do these things and I follow these seven steps, you know, seven steps to be filled with the spirit, it doesn't work like that. When you you receive uh, Jesus into your life, God gives you his personal presence as a gift, and so the spirit is someone you receive when you turn from your sin to place your faith in Jesus. Now, then Paul brings up slaves. Now, he's not talking about being a slave to fear, which would be really poetic, and that'd make a great Christian worship song. But what he's actually talking about, he's pulling an example from Jewish and Roman cultural life. In the ancient world, essentially every culture practiced some form of slavery. And this continued right up until about the 18th century when certain civilizations started to eliminate slavery in Western civilization. Now, it is Black History Month, 
And I did promise a friend that I would mention that it's Black History Month. And our church owes a great debt of gratitude not only to um, white theologians, but all the way back through church history, our faith has been a global faith made of many different people, whether it's Augustine of Hippo um, or whether it's the more contemporary voices. Now, in, for Americans, sometimes it makes us nervous whenever slavery comes up in a passage. But what Paul's actually doing here is he's pulling an example that everyone in the entire society would be familiar with, which is that in a household, some people are children and some people are slaves. And the idea here is that the slaves obey out of fear, that if they don't obey, they're going to be beat. But the children obey out of respect and love. And so the example works like this. When you come into the family of God, you don't obey out of fear of God or fear that you're going to get in trouble or fear of punishment. Instead, now in the family of God, you obey out of respect and love for the Father because you are part of the family. And so what he says in a way that his audience would understand, but for us requires a little bit of translation, is just this. When you've got the Spirit of God in your life, the way you relate to God changes. You are members of God's family because he has adopted you, and that is some serious grace. So now you obey out of gratitude and joy for the grace you've been shown. You're part of the family now. And when you're a part of the family, you talk to God differently. The verse continues. It says, and by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So now our relationship with God is so close that we call him Abba, which is something like daddy in English. And it seems pretty natural to us. You say, like, oh yeah, God, he's a heavenly father. Like we've all heard that. Maybe you grew up in something that wasn't Christianity at all, but it's like it's so embedded in our culture. We just assume, yeah, of course, heavenly father, that's who God is. But this was a complete innovation in the way that people related to God. There was no one in the ancient world who was talking about God as if he was father. Can you imagine this? Caesar, the leader of the Roman Empire, talks to his subjects and he says, listen, when you go to offer your burnt sacrifices, when you go to offer incense and worship me, when you go and have sex with the temple prostitutes, don't call him Jupiter, call him daddy. It had never happened before. Jesus is completely changing the way that we relate to people, and, it become, and, it, and it's happening because we have the Spirit, because we have his personal presence. It is a fundamental shift in how humans relate to God. God's fatherhood is a fundamental shift in how humans relate to God. And at a certain point for you in your life, it has to become a fundamental shift in how you relate to God as well. Not just the creator, not just the God of the deists who started it in motion and got things working, but the one who is your father. And it happened because God's spirit was in people through the work of Jesus. And when we have the spirit of God, it also confirms what we start to experience. You know, we, get the, we, we have it experientially, which is that we are God's children. Verse 17 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Because if you're a child, you're getting part of the inheritance. And if you're adopted into a family, you become uh, someone who gets a part of the inheritance as well. And in this context here, it's talking about uh, not a monetary inheritance, but inheriting the kingdom of God and eternal life. So basically, not only are you close to God the Father, but you can be close to him for eternity because you inherit the kingdom of God. And then he ends this whole passage on the spirit and closeness to God 
by thinking about what it really means to be close to God. Does it mean there's no more suffering in your life? Does it mean God's going to take care of every problem in your life? Look how it ends. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. To be close to God, to have his spirit, to have God's personal presence with you, it does not mean there is no suffering in your life. Now, that's important because most of the reasons we feel distant from God involve suffering of some sort. Whether it's those unanswered prayers, what he's allowing to happen in your life, or the difficulties you're facing. But Paul, who wrote this, suffered more than any Christian in this room that we know of for choosing to follow Jesus. And so he brings it back and reminds us of this powerful truth that we, we, we just constantly tend to forget, especially when times are good, which is that Jesus had the closest relationship with, the, with his heavenly father, with God, that anyone has ever had. And yet suffering was still part of God's will for his life. So, so catch this. If Jesus is that close to God and suffering is still a part of God's plan for his life, what makes you think that when you come to God, you will be exempt from suffering? It just doesn't make any sense. To follow Jesus means not to go around suffering, but to cling to our heavenly Father no matter what comes our way. And for Jesus, really, it's worse than the physical suffering because the cross was more than just physical. When Jesus went to the cross, he endured the hell of losing his Father's presence. Because just before Jesus died, he quoted a psalm on the cross. You know what it was? Psalm 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus experienced the loss of his Father's loving presence so that we would never have to. So that no matter what we face, nothing can separate us from God's love. We know we have it because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. We know we have it because we have God's spirit telling us, reminding us, you are a child of God. And therefore, there's no doubt, there's no enemy, there's no distraction or disaster, no power, no depression, no trial or temptation that can come between us and the love of our Father. When we have the Holy Spirit, when we have the Spirit of Christ, we can say, along with the Apostle Paul, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Father has sent the Son. The Son has done the work, and the Spirit brings the presence of God closer than you can possibly imagine. God wants to be close to you. He cares so much about coming close to you that Jesus went to the cross and died so that we could be forgiven and God could live in us. But as we think about how do you get there, we do have a role to play in all this. God has opened the door wide for a relationship, a close relationship with him, but we have some steps to take to walk through the door. James 4, 8 is our memory verse for today. And if you check the box as a next step to memorize the memory verse, we'll send you something. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And we've, we've kind of already talked about this, right? That, that God's not moving. This isn't physical. God is there. It, it's, it's more of that language of like, you know, when you're in a fight with somebody that you love or a family member or a spouse, 
You're physically close to each other, but it's like the moment you come back towards that other person to repair the relationship, the moment you draw near to them again, it's like God is waiting there with open arms. God has paved the way for you to know him. He's given you his spirit. As soon as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He is always there. Now, how you practically draw close to God has a lot to do with how you practically draw close to a person, and that's pretty difficult. Um, I think it's important here to kind of acknowledge the fact that a lot of us don't have a very close relationship with our human father. And so we say, oh, have this close relationship with your heavenly father. And for a lot of us, we just say, I I don't know what that looks like. For some of you, you don't know your father. And so for so many people, connecting with a close relationship with your heavenly father, it seems possible, but it doesn't seem very natural. And then on top of that, a lot of people struggle with intimacy in relationships, period. And I don't know where that comes from. It can come from a lot of places. Maybe you come out of a family that was just distant. Maybe your parents' marriage was more about duty or social status or child rearing than it was about knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served. Maybe your parents' marriage was about a surprise pregnancy. Maybe you're that surprise pregnancy. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Some of you grew up in homes where it wasn't safe to be honest. You couldn't be honest about how you felt or what you really thought. You learned to keep your, those thoughts to yourself because you learned that when I'm vulnerable, it will be turned and used against me as a weapon. And so there's a lot of reasons why intimacy in relationships is difficult, and that translates to our relationship with God. But let me encourage you with something. When God is in your life, your past does not determine your future. Your family of origin is not the eternal excuse that keeps you from knowing God and connecting with him. Let's, I mean, let's be real about it. Your past does affect your present, right? We got where we are today because of who we've been in the past and how we grew up. So your, your past does affect your present, but it does not determine your future because God is committed to giving you the grace that you need to change and grow and learn to have a close relationship with him. So I could, you know, I could give you five things I've learned about building a close relationship with God, and that would be helpful. But I decided not to do that today because I found that in, in Christianity and especially in our tradition of Christianity, we have this tendency to focus on uh, the things that build a close relationship and not focus on the relationship itself. Um, so let me give you an example. When the guys in my community group ask me how my marriage is going, I don't say, well, you know, we've missed a few date nights this month, and I did speak to Heather on the phone once per day this week, and I listened to her for at least 10 minutes today. So my relationship's okay, but it could be better. I would never say that. And if I did, they would call, uh, they would call me out on that. But when I ask someone, how is your walk with the Lord? What do we say? It's okay. I've missed a few quiet times lately. I prayed once per day this week. And I read my Bible at least 10 minutes per day so God could speak into my life. It's not fooling anyone when we talk about a spouse like that. But when we talk about a relationship with God like that, we're all cool with it. (laughs) Intimacy is not about whether you are checking the boxes. Intimacy is about knowing and being known. It's about radical levels of honesty. It's about where your heart is focused. It's about who you're passionate for. 
And one question that we mentioned before to diagnose an intimate relationship is, can I talk with this person about things in my life that I can't talk with, I can't talk about with, with anyone else? And so am I talking with God about the things in my life that I can't share with anyone else? Is it that kind of conversation? Or is it, are you still praying the same prayers you prayed when you were eight? You know, dear God, please bless this food. Help me to have a good day tomorrow. Bless, bless Grammy and Grampy and Mom and Dad. In Jesus' name, amen. That's good. But it's not that kind of, with the Spirit of God, we cry, Abba, Father, relationship that's possible. Right? So the way forward for us is given to us in the passage in Romans, and we just looked. It says, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. There is something about the Spirit of God in a believer that allows you to cry out to God as though he were your dad. The best version of your dad. <laughs> Maybe if you grew up without your dad, it's, it's part of that dream of what a relationship with your dad could be like. And so it's not a perfect question, but here, here's kind of the question that I ask myself. I want to give you this question to kind of diagnose your closeness with God, your, your intimacy with God. And it's not perfect, but it kind of gets us on that pathway. Do you talk to God the way you wish you could talk to your dad? Like, if you had that perfect relationship with that perfectly loving father, and there, no earthly father meets that standard, I get that. I had a great dad, but there's still some things in my relationship with him where I wish I could talk to him about certain things. But do you talk to God? the way you wish you could talk to your dad? Is there an ongoing conversation? Do you talk about your struggles as they happen? Do you ask for guidance and direction when you don't understand what's happening? Do you seek him out for encouragement when your season of waiting doesn't seem to end? Or do you, do you reach out to him and celebrate when things are finally going right in your life? Do you spend time with him just catching up on the good things and the hard things and all the things? Because when the spirit is in you, it is as though God is your dad, and he wants you to cry out to him that way. Do I talk to God the way I wish I could talk to my God? If my relationship with that, my dad were, were healthy and the way I wish it could be. And maybe it's been a long time since you did this. You know, maybe you came here today and you say, my relationship with God is close and it's going great. Well, good for you. <laughs> For the rest of us, maybe it's been a long time since you had this kind of conversation with God. And what you need to do is you need to make some time this week. Not find some time, but make some time where you get down on your knees, no one's around, and you say, God, I know it's been a while, but let me tell you what's going on. And I just, if you, if you do that, if it's been a while, and you take that step this week and you do that, you know what you'll find? You won't find condemnation or judgment or somebody who says, where have you been? No, because the condemnation and the judgment and the punishment, Jesus Christ took care of all of that on the cross. So when you come into God's presence, you find open arms and a, a heavenly father who says, I'm so glad you came and talked to me. That's my hope for you as the pastor of this church. Not that you have a daily quiet time. I would love that. My hope for you is that you have that close of a relationship with God where you can talk to God the way you wish you could talk to your dad. 